0: Is Kyle amazing or what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not talking about Kyle, I'm talking about his shoes. his shoes. Dude, and, and what do they call that thing you put in your pocket, in your jacket? Handkerchief. Handkerchief. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I've known Kyle since uh, we, got, we met uh, in, uh, in, in Hartford, Connecticut, because his older brother, Dylan, younger brother Dylan, okay, <laughs> was one of Nick, my son's best friends. And he had these like three amigos in Hartford. And we lived about an hour and a half away from Hartford in a little town called Ridgefield, Connecticut. And so we would we would um, uh, commute there. And, uh, and so it was really cool just to kind of, you know, connect with that family at Hartford. And Dylan and these three buddies of uh, Nick's just kind of kept him sane through high school. And they're kind of those friendships, you know, you make when you're 16, 17 years old. And you just kind of keep them for life. And so it's always fun to kind of run into old friends and uh, people that you've connected with in the past and, uh, and just to kind of kind of share what we have in common and share kind of that bond, that, that special bond that we have. And so I'm really looking forward just to, uh, Sue and I have been really looking forward to this time together. If you guys don't mind, I'm going to try, what I'm going to try and do is actually speak from up here. I'd prefer just to kind of speak from here if you guys can kind of... Kind of Yes, hear me there in the back. Yes. Yes. Okay, and I know that we're trying to. uh, I know. I don't know where we put the the recorder. But um, it really is awesome to be together. And I think you know, Sundays Sundays can be such a special and meaningful time because we get connected. And you know, and life can be so rushed and so hurried and so much happening, and we're just trying to survive half the time as we're cranking through our weeks. And it's like, where do we get the time to connect, you know, to, you know, husband and wife, much less, you know, extended family and friends. And, and, and so when we come together on Sundays, it was never meant to be just sort of, you know, a, sort of a religious kind of, you know, put your ducks in a row kind of time. It was meant to be a, a connection time, a connection to God time, a connection to one another time, a connection to some of the, the some of the beliefs and some of the values that we really hold the most dear. And so it really should be a time that you know that energizes us and that helps us to kind of go, wow, life is good. I can I can go back to, to work on Monday morning and uh, and I can I can do this thing. I never forget for myself, you know, trying to trying to figure it out sort of in the in the corporate world. I was in the full time ministry for about eighteen years. Soon I stepped out of the full time ministry for about seven years. And it was a real opportunity for me just to, to go and, you know, get an experience that I really needed to be able to, to kind of understand what the men my age were going through in, in the congregation. And I'll never forget being there on Sunday mornings going, Boy, I just hope I can get something here on Sunday morning to help me to get through this week because I'm kind of dreading it. I hate to say it. And sometimes work was awesome. Sometimes work was crazy. I was talking to somebody this morning about going in for an interview I had one job that I was trying to get that I had 14 interviews for. Yeah. And I went and, and <laughs> met with the CEO down in Greenwich, Connecticut. And I was told this is just to kind of seal the deal. And I got, went to that interview and I didn't get the job. Yeah. I that day. And I was oh, like, yeah. oh man, you know, it's like, oh wow. It's like something, you know, that, that, that journey that we're on in the workplace can be grueling. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And, and so it's so important, I really believe, that we can come together on a Sunday morning and just kind of go, oh,
1: Amen. Yep. Right. Everything's
0: going to be okay. Right. I got some, I got some, some friends on the journey. Mm-hmm. God is in my corner, mm-hmm. and I got some fuel in the tank. You know, from mm-hmm. from from prayer, from you know the scriptures, and from God. You know, just to, to hearing His voice, mm-hmm. and I can make it. And I can and I can kind of go to that next place. And I really hope that that's um, what we can get out of this morning. Is where we can get into into the scriptures for a little while, and that we can leave with a little bit more of a sense of the incredible lives that we get to live,
1: yeah.
0: and what God thinks about us, and 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 the power source that is there, that is God, and that, and that is Jesus in our in our corner, as we're fight, trying to fight that fight in the ring. That Jesus is in our corner, cheering us on, coaching us on. We can do it. And He's saying, if I can go through all that I went through. And I can actually rise from the dead at the end of that. You're going to make it. And we're going to do this together. And it's going to be awesome. You know, um, it was really an honor and a privilege to come up a few weekends ago. And I got to go out with all the ruffians
1: out to the camp and
0: hang with the bros. And it was kind of a unique opportunity just to kind of get to know each other. And there's just stuff that comes out in the stories and in the... You know, uh, I don't know, just in all the grunts and groans that happened, you know, around the fireplace and in the cabins. And uh, it was such an awesome time. You know, at the end of that, I'm like, man, I love these guys. What an awesome group of men. And I get the chance to, to, uh, to not just kind of, again, sort of be in sort of a religious setting, but it was cool just to be out there as men, as brothers. And I know Sue just really, really enjoyed her time uh, with the women as well. And it's really, really, uh, really an honor just to be with the, uh, the Burlington Burlington family, Burlington gang. And uh, I actually, too, I really had a great time with wow. Carl and Helen's daughter, Alexandra.
1: <laughs> so I, I
0: head back to the Balsers after I'm kind of exhausted from the, uh, from the, from the, uh, the camping, because there's not a whole lot of sleeping going on at these <laughs> camping trips. And I head back, and I, and I meet Alexandra, and, and there's Sam, of course, and, uh, and 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 um, okay, the Baldur's other son, James. James. Okay, James was upstairs because he was getting a little bit disciplined, and so we we're kind of <laughs> coming about this
1: situation. And
0: so and so I come in and, I, and and just it's just hang time with Mike and Sam and Alexandra, and I was like riveted for like two hours because <laughs> Alexandra, she's just like boy, what a what a. What a, little, uh, what a little Power Ranger. She's just, she's just so interested and so interesting. And so you're like having all these deep conversations and talking about imaginary friends and all these trips we want to go on. Anyway, anyway it's really fun. And it's great, of course, to meet Helen afterward as well and see the kind of the source of all that life. And really I wanted to introduce you guys to my family. And uh, because we've gone through some really cool uh, experiences the last couple of years. And um, one of the first experiences we had was a couple of years ago when Nick, uh, who's on the right there, that's my son, uh, he graduated from the University of Georgia. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And that was a long story as well. Some of you guys I I know are familiar with. Chris knows our kids and uh, knows, you know, kind of have a lot of mutual friends and that kind of thing. But that's Nick on the right. Of course, that's Sue. That's Mackenzie. This is at her graduation. She just graduated this past spring from nursing school. Nursing school almost killed her. She is smart, and she's very compassionate. And so she wanted to go into nursing because most of the compassionate part, not because of the pharmaceuticals and the science and the math and and all that stuff. It just was such, a, it was such a challenge, so we were just rooting for her, trying to be her biggest, biggest cheerleaders, and she made it. She graduated. And then the next thing came along, the NCLEX exam, the National Boards for, for Nursing, as I know a lot of you are familiar with. And, uh, and so we were FaceTiming her. We were down in Philadelphia. We were speaking, doing a little something there with the church in, in Philadelphia. And so she said, hey, Mom and Dad, could you be on the line with me when I find out my results from the NCLEX because she took all two hundred and sixty five questions. She was in this she was in this test for six hours. And so she you know apparently the test clicks off if you're doing really well after seventy, or it clicks you off if you're doing really poorly after seventy. So but so you keep going on and on. She's like She's like in the ring. I mean, it's not 12 rounds. like 50. It's like 30 rounds, right? So her new nickname now, we call her just 265.
1: 265,
0: Ken. Just remember that. You're going to make it. If you can make it through that. So anyhow, so we're on the line, and we weren't sure if we were going to have like a meltdown or it was going to be like the greatest celebration of all time. We just weren't sure. But, but thanks be to God. There was a great celebration. Like so we found out that McKenzie past. It's really cool because tomorrow she starts her dream job in Atlanta, Georgia. She had this dream to, to work for the uh, the uh, <clears throat> Children's Hospital of Atlanta and so sure enough she's starting her job tomorrow and she lives a few doors down from her big brother Nick and, uh, and his new bride Bree. They were married about a year and a half ago but it's really fun because there's a bunch of, <clears throat> a bunch of the um, uh, Christians, the disciples down in Atlanta live in the same building, in the same kind of collection of buildings. And so she gets to live close to them and uh, just party and just have some fun. Just be near her friends and be near her big brother who really is kind of her best friend. So why don't you go to the next slide. So this is us down this past summer in Topsail, Topsail Island down in North Carolina. That's Bree, formerly Broyles. And um, and Bree's family has a timeshare down in this amazing place. It's amazing. I kind of like the photography on this one, because when I see that like light beam coming out of my head right there, I thought I'd show this one, because, you know, I don't know, it kind of demonstrates a little bit, I don't even know who, oh, it's actually it's Nick who took the pictures, anyhow, it's great to know. and so, you know, Brie is, we just feel so lucky to have Brie in our family, because she's just awesome, she's just cool, she's easy to hang out with, she just kind of fits in with the whole vibe of our family, which isn't really the easiest thing to do sometimes. Because we're kind of, we're kind of a, I don't know, we're kind of a, uh, what's the word, Suze? Our family is
1: she's
0: pretty, like, pretty like, cash, we're pretty kickback, we're kick pretty, yeah. yeah, we're just kind of, yeah, we just kind of like to hang out a lot. And so, anyhow, Brie fits right in with that. So that's Brie Schaaf right there. I can't even believe I get to say that her last name is Schaaf. So let's mm-hmm. go to the next picture. And this is just a picture out in front of on our front porch. We love front porches,
1: and,
0: uh, <laughs> and so that's a picture of our gang right there. And so that's kind of us. So I'm done.
1: Anyway, <laughs>
0: you know, I literally, I am the most blessed man of all time. I am the luckiest guy of all time. I don't deserve anything that I have, but God has been so good to me. And it's crazy because I became a Christian <clears throat> when I was really seeking God as an 18-year-old, as a teenager. I didn't get into college. I was going to go to art school for a long time. And I, at the very last minute, I changed my mind. And my parents were kind of ticked off at that. But I changed my mind because I spent a lot of time on my art and my portfolio. I got into a few art schools. And I changed my mind at the end. I, I applied to a few schools that I had no business even thinking about getting into. <laughs> I didn't get into them. And so I took a year off after um, high school to just travel around the United States, work odd jobs. I had this old Jeep. So I got in my Jeep, and I had this little list of things that I wanted to accomplish that year, and one of them was I wanted to find God. And my feeling was, <clears throat> hey, either this, because I was raised in a very kind of, kind of strict, you know, kind of religion. It was very ritualistic, and I was really drawn to a lot of things in it, but there were certain things that kind of, that I wasn't drawn to at all. And what I mean by that is, it was, very, it was very, like I said, ritualistic, kind of religious, and I, and I would look at, like, Jesus, kind of this emaciated white dude with a ring around his head and the stained glasses. And I couldn't make the connection. How did that guy change the world? How did that guy make such a profound impact on this earth? And I wasn't sure about that. And I, and I, and I wasn't hearing any real, real teaching about that. I wasn't getting to know him. So I went in search. And so I ran into some guys in Boulder, Colorado, who uh, was one of them was a friend of my sister who said, "Hey, if you're ever in Colorado, come in and, and, and meet me." I'd gotten this job out in a ranch out in the mountains in Colorado. I had a few extra days, so I called him up and I said, "Hey, uh, I'm here in Colorado." He said, "You know, give you a call if I was ever here." And so, yeah, come on up to Boulder. I didn't know it, but he had moved out to Boulder to go to architecture school, and had actually met some of the guys out there. He'd studied the Bible, and he had recently been baptized. And so I met him. And he, this guy was like a stud. I always looked up to this guy in high school. He was like my, one of my older sister's friends. And he started telling me about his recent baptism up in the Boulder Mountains. And just telling me about kind of this experience. And I said, well, why did you do it? And I was so excited because this is what I was looking for. He turned to Acts chapter 2 and he told me about Jesus. And he told me about, he showed me why, he, why he'd done what he'd done. And I'd done a lot of religious things in my past. But I didn't really know why, and I couldn't really connect the dots. And so Acts chapter two really, really helped me because it started to help me to see that I could that 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 religion, that Jesus wasn't just sort of a myth. It wasn't just sort of a uh, you know sort of an old wives' tale like Paul Bunyan or like Humpty Dumpty or something like that. <laughs> that Jesus was real. That he that he changed the world. That the things he spoke about and the things that he did were real. And, and that I could follow him. A lot like Sue was talking about in the communion. That this wasn't just a cartoon character. Or just sort of a figure in a stained glass. This guy was real. And I tell you, I would follow him because of what he stood for. And because of what he proved who he was through his life and through his compassion. And through his impact and through his service. And I thought, wow, this isn't something I have to do. This is something I really want to do. I want, I want my life to count and I don't know about you today, but that's that's, what, that's been a driving force in my life. Is I, I, I get one life. I want to make it amazing. Mm-hmm. I want to get to the end of this life, looking forward to eternal life, saying, man, I, I, I went for it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't held back by fear. I wasn't held back by what ifs. Mm-hmm. I wasn't held back by all that stuff. I want to I live life. And all of us, guys, we get one life. Let's make it amazing. Let's make it amazing. And the difference that we can make, the difference in, in, in being a Jesus follower, is that He did it. He did it. He went up against the, the craziest forces of evil, up against the craziest forces that wanted to, wanted to take Him out. He faced all the temptation that we face, times a million, or however you factor that out, and He faced it. He faced it right among us, he faced it like the guy that grew up down the street from us, right among us, one of us, and he overcame. In fact, he was tortured. He was unfairly accused. He was murdered. He was treated like a piece of trash up on a tree. And he even overcame that. Everybody saw him die. And then he did what no one else in the history of man has done. He rose from the dead just like he said mm-hmm. down to the specific detail of what he predicted mm-hmm. and so if you look through history there's been about 140 billion people who've lived you know the one common thread through all people who have lived is that they have also died doesn't matter what nationality they were doesn't matter if they're a man or woman didn't matter if they were rich or poor didn't matter if they're educated nothing everybody every human dies except for this one dude. He grew up in Nazareth, a no-name place. People didn't really believe this place existed until, until a little ways back, like a hundred years ago or so, when they started finding remains of Nazareth. He grew up a peasant. And everybody was against him. Everybody railed against him. But he's the only one who at the end of the day rises above everybody else and says... Hey, you know what? I'm the only guy who rose from the dead. So you might want to listen to me about how to really live life. Mm -hmm. And that's what we get. We don't get get just to listen to somebody else who's going to die. Or somebody else who's going to sin. Or somebody else who's going to fail. We get to listen to the guy who loves us, who cares for us, who, who knelt down to serve us, to listen to him, about how not only just to survive life, but how to thrive in life. Think of a challenge you're going through. Think of a challenge you're going through. And one of the best things you can do is to think through, okay, how would Jesus handle this? What would His Spirit be? How would He handle this particular challenge that you're going through in your life? And then listen to Him. Get into the Scriptures. Open up the Scriptures and go, hey, Jesus, how would you handle this? And Jesus is more than wanting to stand up beside you, to be yoked along with you in your life, and say, hey, here's how we're going to do it. And we're not just going to sort of survive and eke it out and kind of make it and hope that we get through it. We're going to soar. And we're going to do this together. I'm going to teach you how to do it because I did it myself. And I know this works. What an honor and what an opportunity. And the crazy thing is, Jesus did it all with joy. With joy. I want to talk about one simple passage today. And it's in Matthew chapter 5. And the title of the sermon today is One Life. One Life. Because that's what we get. That's what you get. That's what I get. And I want to ask us, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? Because we've been gifted with it. Guys, life is... It's priceless. Mm -hmm. It's precious. It's magical. It's unexplainable. How you and I can literally stand on our own two feet, and, and, and live. What is that? Have you ever seen somebody who's dead? I, one of my best friends actually died in my arms. Of a heart attack. And I watched him literally go from life to death. Gave him CPR. We're on the phone with 911. Trying to resuscitate him. And I saw literally life pass from his body. His body really didn't change. I mean, of course, it changed in color and it changed in texture and all this kind of stuff as, he's, as the life is going out from it. But there is something mysterious that's happening there. And it's a gift that we've been given. And it's precious and it's priceless. And Jesus is really wanted to help us to know how to, how, to, how to treasure it, how to make the most of it, how to cultivate it, so that we can literally become fruitful trees. Isn't that what Jesus, God said in the beginning? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Make the world, make this life your playground. And let's run it. Let's go for it. Because it's going to go all into eternity. And it's a great adventure that we get to live with Him. But we get one life. And I really want to ask all of us this morning to treasure that one life and to say, whatever I do, I'm going to do my best to live this life to the fullest. Because you have gifts that we need. Mm -hmm. You have unique talents that we need, and we need them desperately. And when you hold them back from us, we're not as good as we could be. We need you, and we need you to aspire
1: to live the life that
0: God has really created you for. Let's pray, and then we're going to talk through Matthew five here a little bit, and then we're going to, um, and then we're going to sing a song. Okay, so let's pray together, and ask God to really bless our time. Father in heaven, it is an honor to open up your Word. Father, I know we don't even get it, how many lives have been spent, God, the the price that's been paid so that we can open up the the scriptures that are filled with wisdom as to how to live and love and lead and make an impact and live into eternity and walk with you and know you and know your character and know your love. Father, we we just want to cherish this time to be able to open up the scriptures and really learn from you, learn from Christ, and Father, be better for it. Bless our time. Give us your spirit. Move powerfully by your spirit as we open up your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So we get this one life. And um, and one of the things I think that's so important that, that we hear from God is a simple thing about each one of us and to each one of us. You know, when Jesus was baptized, there was a voice from heaven that looked him right in the eyes and said, you are my son, whom I love, with you, I am well pleased. I really believe that Jesus lived his life, not just to sort of be something that we could marvel at, but to be a model for us to to see as how we could live life. That we could live life connected in love relationships. We could live life connected to God in a, in a very special and miraculous way. That we could have an impact in the world through service and through loving God and loving one another and loving our neighbor and loving our enemy that there's great value there there's great meaning there and so Jesus is not only just sort of something for us to marvel at he's an example for us to become Jesus is a picture of a life well lived you say well it didn't seem like it was really that awesome when he's on the cross well that's true and he died a really terrible death but hey we're all going to die how do you want to die you want this guy sort of forgotten, disconnected from people and from, you know, from, from life sort of in a corner somewhere? I don't want to die like that. If I'm going to die, I might as well die like going for it and doing something in my life and having an impact. Because Jesus also rose from the dead. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. You know, Jesus offers us something that's extraordinary. But what I want to tell you this morning is you are extraordinary. You are. You are awesome. You are amazing. You are a miracle. The potential in your life and in your heart, soul, mind, and body is off the charts. We can't even measure it. That you are made with special gifts, with special talents. And when we use those gifts to serve, our life starts to change the world around us. When we start to value our life, then we start to cultivate our life, we start to treat ourselves well we start to treat the people around us well and we start to grow and we start to produce fruit and we start to produce seeds and the crazy thing about those seeds they have, they have the potential literally to to multiply into hundreds of fruits hundreds of trees thousands of fruits thousands of trees each one just as amazing as the last you are awesome And you say, well, Steve, you don't even know me. How can you even say that? How can you even say that? Well, I can say that because that's what God says. Let's look. In in Mark Matthew, chapter 5, in verse 1, it says, Now when he saw the crowds, Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. And he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Because sometimes we hear this, it just starts going over our head, doesn't it? Because we've heard these ones before. We've heard the Beatitudes before. So it just starts to kind of go over our head. And yet, if we really look at it, Jesus is saying something that literally has changed the world. Has changed our understanding of what power is. Has changed our understanding of what real life is about. And what he's saying right here is he's saying, you know, all those guys over there who are wearing the robes, who are living in the palaces, you know, who seem like they've got it all going for them, really don't have it going for them at all. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This hillside was filled with thousands of peasants. Thousands of people who we would consider the poor of the poor. Who didn't seem like they had anything. And Jesus is saying... You're blessed, and you're blessed, and you're blessed. And he's saying, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Because, you know, the rest of the world, they just turn off their heart. They just turn off their spirit. They don't pay attention to it. And they kind of exert their power, and they lord it over people, and they say, look how much money I have. Look how much prestige I have. While all the time they're dead on the inside. And that's celebrated. Jesus is saying, no, you know, the poor in spirit, those who really have a sense of their need, for God and their need for one another; those are the people who truly become rich. And so, yeah, it's scary sometimes. Yet yeah, it's it's hard sometimes. But it is a blessed place to be when you're poor in spirit. It's a blessed place to be if you mourn. Say, so how can that be blessed? Well, because we we because as human beings, we have a range of emotions, and and we can feel ex- extreme happiness. We can feel extreme sadness. And we don't like to stay in those extreme sadness places very long. But I'll tell you this. Those who feel, those who are able to feel the full range of emotions are those who are like Jesus, who felt the full range of emotions. He wasn't shutting down his emotions so he could just kind of make it through. He was trying to build healthy emotions so he could experience life. Blessed are those who mourn. You know, it's a good thing. If you feel sad sometimes. It's a good thing if you feel anxious sometimes. It's a good thing if you feel hurt sometimes. You have to work through things on a hard level. Yeah, it's hard, but it gets you down to the place where real life happens. Don't shut that off. Learn from Jesus how to work through that, how to cultivate that to become a more healthy human being. And you're blessed. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you, because they may rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He says you're in really good company. Mm -hmm. Have you ever thought about the people that we kill? We kill the Martin Luther Kings of the world. We kill the Robert Kennedys of the world. We kill the Gandhis of the world. We jail the Nelson Mandelas of the world. We kill the Jesus of the world. Why? I'm not really sure. It's such a weird thing, though, that these people who, who seem, seemingly want, are trying to bring good news to us, also what comes with their good news is light, oftentimes. And, a, and a more of an awareness of where we lack. Or more of an awareness of how my show of power really isn't power at all. And so, they, and so these people, for whatever reason, we, we persecute them, and we oppose them, and we kill them. It's so strange. But you know, that's the company you keep when you're persecuted because of, because of the good news. And because of living a life that's That's full because of living a life like Him. These are your friends. These are the people you are going to be high-fiving in, in eternity. And it's not because you lived a life of, of sort of trying to trying to not get in trouble all the time. You're trying to just kind of play it safe all the time. We want to be wise. We don't want to be stupid. We want to be wise in how we live life. We're not just trying to make trouble for trouble's sake. But we're trying to live lives that, that have meaning and have value and have a message of hope. And so chances are, if you're going to live that kind of life, there's going to be resistance from the darkness and from the world. Because the world just doesn't get it. And that's okay. And Jesus even says, you know, if that's happening to you, rejoice and be glad. He says later, leap for joy. Because you're doing something with your life. That one life that you've been given. And look at this in verse 13. I love this. You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything. It's says to be thrown out and trampled by men. You know, Jesus is saying here that you were made as salt. It's interesting because these two times he says you are the salt of the earth and then later you are the light of the world. That you is an interesting word because it's not a you plural. It's a you singular. He's saying Ralph. He's saying Steve. You know, he's saying... He's saying, em, you know, he's saying your name. You're the salt of the earth, man. Your life is worth living. You know, salt in this time was, was like the most treasured, like the most valuable thing because it preserves stuff. It was kind of semi-rare, but, but it was very practical in its uses. It was You could trade it. You could get money for it. It was very valuable. It was very practically valuable. And very intrinsically valuable. That's who we are. You are extremely valuable. Don't let anyone or anything mm. tell you different. Mm. Yeah. You are you. God created you for greatness. Yeah, you. Yeah, me. I grew up in a little, little town of people even barely know is there in, in North Jersey. It's a, it's a rural town. It's a teeny little town. It's got you cows in it. I grew up with, with chickens. Ryan was telling me all these gross stories about raising chickens on his, you know, growing up. <laughs> Got to ask him about it if you want to be grossed out a little bit. But, but you know, I grew up in this place, and I just kind of felt like, like a nobody. And I realized from Jesus, though, no, my life, my life has purpose and has meaning. I'm the salt of the earth. I'm the light of the world. So for a lot of us, when we try and finish that sentence, a lot of us struggle. I am. How do you finish that sentence? And not necessarily when you're in front of people, but when you're by yourself. And you say, I am. How do you finish that? Who are you? What's your life for? Why are you here? What are your gifts? What are your talents? What are your unique experiences? You know, um, a lot of times when we go through difficult times, it's so that we can learn from it and then help others not have to go through that difficult time because they learn on your dime or they learn on my dime. And we've got to sometimes be willing to go through the tough times so that we can make that mess our message, right? right. Yep. Make that try our triumph. So we can make that, that failure a part of our story that now we can pass on to others, pass on to our kids. You know, this is one of the things that we wanted our kids to be so so confident about it. I'm the salt of the earth. I'm the light of the world. My life has value. I'm lovable. I'm awesome. I'm amazing. And that's not pride talking. That's just real. That's just God talking. You know, he goes on. He says, You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You know, I was uh, listening to Frank Kim one time. He was talking about this verse. And he said it's interesting because the light that's not under a bulb, it's on a stand. The light starts in the house. And he was talking about how light, being the light of the world, starts in our homes. Home is the headquarters for spiritual development. Home is the headquarters of where love really, really happens. And it's really meaningful. and It's really wonderful. You know, home is, is is the place where Jesus says, hey, you can let your light shine there. And then, and then it starts to spread throughout the earth. He says, you're the light of the world. You know, it's interesting here, because Jesus said this about who else? You're the light of the world. Who else did he say this about? Remember John chapter 8? He said this about himself. He said, I am the light of the world. And so in a lot of ways, what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to say, hey, I'm no better than you. I'm no different from you. I'm a human just like you. I was created by God just like you. God is my father and God is our father. And so God has the same measure, the same level of vision for you as he has for Jesus. And so we can have very bold I am's. At least we can have two I am's that are going to change your life if you really adopt them. One is, I am the salt of the earth. You can say that confidently because Jesus called you that. And you can say, I'm the light of the world, confidently. And then we can kind of figure out the other ones as we move forward, right? Mm -hmm. Who am I? What am I here for? Because for me, I want to know that. I want to find that out so I can do it. I don't want to just like find that out on the last day I'm around. I want to figure that out early on. And that's what Jesus is really trying to help us with, our I am and where we're going. You know, um, when I was uh, so when Sue and I stepped out of the ministry, I took a job as a marketing director for a company in 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 uh, in Connecticut. And I took this job because of a business that I'd started. I work as an illustrator and designer, and so I and so I took this job and I thought, well, that was pretty easy. I got this job, so we moved the family to Connecticut. We were going back east to be closer to our families. Because we've been kind of all over. We've been in, in Japan for, for years. We've been in California for years. So we needed to get back east where our family was. So I moved back east. I started this job uh, at this company. A week into it, I was fired. And I won't go into that story, but it was, it was, anyhow, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't fun. And so I kind of started this, 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 this uh, journey as to try to figure myself out in my career. And I was educated. I'd had a lot of experiences all over the place, but didn't seem like people really cared about that. And so, and so, the first thing I did when I went to—I shouldn't say they didn't care about that. I should say that 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 it was hard for me to sort of describe how a role as an evangelist in the church would make me a good salesperson, or how a role in a church would make me, you know, a good person in this sort of corporate role. And so anyway, so so I. I uh, after I lost this job, the next day I went down to Starbucks because it was the only place I could figure out where to get health benefits because I had two kids at home. I had, we were selling our house in California. I had a lease on a house. in Connecticut, I had no job. And so I went down to Starbucks. I put my hat on, put my apron on, and got to work. And mine was the morning shift, and so I, I kind of enjoyed that. I ended up working at Starbucks for two and a half years, and I learned a lot in that job. I eventually went and started an entry-level sales job, kind of worked my way through the ranks, ended up getting my uh, uh, MBA, and then soon after that, we went back in the ministry in Boston. But that was such a learning experience for me. But, you know, I'll never forget the day, I know this is going to blow some minds here, I'll never forget the day we ran out of grande cups at Starbucks. (laughs) And I didn't
1: realize, I I had no idea what was
0: about to happen. But people lost their minds. Um, and we say no. We can give you two tall cups, which actually equals more than a grande cup, or we give you a venti instead of a grande. People are so locked into their their drink. And they come through line, and I'll never forget the guy who comes through line, and I tell him the I tell him the bad news as gently as I can,
1: <laughs>
0: and he starts pointing at me. And he says he starts yelling. Bad job! <laughs> like, oh wow, what's, what is happening right now? <laughs> whole line of people. Right. And he's like, multiple bad job! And he's yelling and he's stomping around. And, he, and, he, and this wasn't like a weird guy, this is like a, one of our regular customers. <laughs> and I wanted to say, dude, calm down, man. This isn't that big a deal. And for him, it was, it was off the charts. So he goes to the line, he's like yelling at me, he's going out the door, I'm writing up a card on you, I'm sending you to Starbucks. that was one experience I never forget another time where a guy comes through and he's kind of a kind of a grumpy guy and so I was trying to cheer him up and so I said one morning I said hey my name is Steve how's your day going what's your name he says my name is get me my coffee And so here I am standing with, my, with my, my apron on. You got a lot of mug
1: awards. In my hat. I did have
0: some mug awards on my hat for doing <laughs> a good job. And one of the things I was really challenged with, guys, in that period of my life is that, who am I? And what is my life? I was like, I was like 42 years old, 43 years old. I was having a hard time finding a job. I had all these different experiences. And I just couldn't figure it out. And I was like what God what do you want from me? what is the deal I'm trying I'm trying to do I'm trying to I'm trying to be you know be joyful always pray continually but you know I learned a lot during that time. One of the things I learned is that my kids don't care a lick about what I do for work. What my kids want from me is to be connected and in love with their dad. that's it. That's it. In fact, they liked me working at Starbucks, so I'd bring parfaits home.
1: And I'd bring, you know, I'd
0: bring, like, donuts home that, that, that were, you know, were left out at the end of the day. And they're like, my dad's got the greatest job ever. He brings yeah. his own food. He's got the cool job at Starbucks. What does your dad do? Yeah. Oh, he works, in, he works in... Because we live in a very wealthy town. We, we rented this little carriage house in this very wealthy town in Connecticut. And half the time, I just felt like a loser. Like, what am I doing with my life? And it was just this journey. And, and another thing that I learned is, is that, and it's, I don't know how, if this sounds too simple, but I learned that God is with me.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. That God loves me. And it's not because I've done this awesome job spiritually. It's not because I've had this certain kind of impact. It's not because of any of that stuff. It's just, I don't know why, but He really loves me. And He, wa- he wants to walk with me. And there would be these times I'd be out ranting. I think people thought I was just nuts. So I was the nutty guy in the neighborhood. Uh, because, because I would go out and I would just... I would, one of the things that came out of this time was I really sought God in a way I never had. Mm-hmm. And I prayed to Him because I was really desperate. Mm-hmm. And I realized that a lot of change comes not in just times of inspiration, but times of desperation. Yeah. It's kind of like that little combination of both. That's when we really start to change and we really start to grow and really start to look inside and we really start to reach out for God and rely on Him. And He's the God who raises the dead. And so, of course, He can help us through it. And, of course, you know what? It, 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 it all turned out all right.
1: <laughs> Whew. It kind of gives me
0: kind of the chills just even thinking back about some of those things. But God is working for the good. And we, found, and we, and we came up with this little slogan in our family. And it's this. Our slogan was, if it's not this, it's something better. Mm -hmm. Because as we went through disappointment, what we realized time after time is that God wasn't trying to put us down. He wasn't trying to take us out. He wasn't trying to punish us. What he was trying to do is he was trying to work for the good in our lives. Mm -hmm. And so if we got disappointed, it was not because God was trying to take away something good. He was trying to actually give us something better. And that has really guided us a lot through the tough times and through the disappointing times. People say, no, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. We're going to get through this together. Because so often, I get confused. And I get dark. And I lose heart. And that's when I need Jesus to come on in and go, Hey, Steve, we're going to get through even this. And he helps me on a moment-to-moment basis, on a day-to-day basis, to find the light and to find the hope and to find a way forward, even if it's just baby steps. And I found him to be the best trainer I could ever have, ask for. That's right. And the best brother and the best friend. And I found that as I go through the scriptures that really all he's really wanting to help me with is to hear his words and to put them into practice. Amen. And that way, Amen. I'm going to build a great life. So next time, what we're going to talk about, today we talk about one life. Next time I want to talk about one habit. That if you will... If you will take on this one habit that Jesus talks about, then you will actually take hold of the life that you were created for. Mm -hmm. So that's next time. One habit. Today, let's just think about our one life and what we're going to do with it. My prayer is that we'll turn ourselves into Jesus like never before and say, hey, I want to make the most of my one life. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's rock and roll. Uh, I know it's going to be interesting. It's going to be tough times, but we're going to soar. On wings like eagles, we're going to go for this. God, it's really an honor and a privilege to be with you today. Thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for taking your time out this morning, and um, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.